I confess to you that I don't know that I have a, a great Southern Baptist preacher in me. Um. <laughs> I'm not sure I have that in me this morning. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Bryce. No, uh, no preacher duel this morning. No preacher duel this morning. Uh, you know, uh, our, our national economy, our national economy um, runs on faith. Uh, let's say that, that you decide that you are going to go and uh, get that new 56-inch flat screen television. Some of you are like, amening already, right? Yes, yes. So it's it's a matter of consumer confidence, right? Uh, The thing that will decide whether you actually go to the store and put your money down is whether you have confidence that you can pay all the rest of your bills, that you have enough money uh, to be able to handle the payments or whatever is going to go along, and really it's a matter of your faith. You have to have enough faith that you're going to be able to make the payments uh, before you go and actually buy the television. And as with the national economy, so with your own spiritual economy. There's a need for great faith. Uh, There's an opportunity to believe. And for all of us, for all of us, we have this burning question inside of us. What's the bedrock of my faith? Uh, What confidence can I have that there's something behind the thing that I am Believing in. Paul the Apostle answers our question this morning. He has, he has written to a group of people in a church that he has visited many, many times. Uh, he was there for 18 months. He was in their homes. He, he ate with them. He, he taught them. And, and when he leaves, he doesn't forget to write. And when he writes this first letter to the Corinthian church, he, he gives them Really, two essential elements of what it meant to believe. He gives them uh, two essential elements that form the bedrock of their faith. Join me in 1 Corinthians 15. As we look at the bedrock of our faith. 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to join me and Pull out a pew Bible in front of you. It's page 801. Page The very first essential element that forms, that shapes the bedrock of our faith is that Jesus died for our sins. Now, there are some who, is, who are going to say that, that Jesus never actually died, but, but Paul says with tremendous clarity 
That it is Jesus' death that, that, that shapes the bedrock for what it is that we believe. That we can have confidence in our faith because Jesus has died. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. For what I received, Paul is speaking, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. He's saying this is absolutely important. We can't miss this. This is necessary. He says, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We simply can't miss that Jesus died. Yeah, I get it. Some say that Jesus never actually died. But you have to understand that the Romans were master craftsmen of death. Now, you see, it says in the Gospels that, uh, that Jesus had to be flogged before He went to the cross. Now, this may not seem like a whole lot to you and I as we just let our eyes glance over those words, but, but this was a flogging before Jesus goes to the cross. He's laid over, maybe a stump, maybe he's, his arms are just simply stretched out and he's leaned over. And they would take a, they would take a whip that would have uh, little metal balls woven into them as, as to tenderize his flesh. And then from there, there, there would be uh, straps that were that would have protruding from them little pieces of bone or rock, maybe glass. And as Jesus is, is laid out, as His skin is taut, one would stand on one side and one on the other, and they would take turns whipping and ripping the flesh across His back. The Romans thought they were being nice to the Jews. For when this was done to the Jews, uh, they would say, we'll only do 39 lashes. Eusebius, a, a, a third century historian, tells us of this gruesome act that many times those who were flogged never made it to crucifixion. That they died before they ever got to the cross. That they would go into actually uh, what's called a hypervolemic shock. It's where your, your body has lost so much blood that your, your, your blood pressure drops. Your heart begins to try and pump blood that isn't there. And so you feel thirsty and weak and you faint and eventually you die. Eusebius tells us uh, actually that many of those who were flogged when they would stand up, their bowels would run out. You see, the Romans were master craftsmen at death. And Jesus was flogged even before He was crucified. You want to talk crucifixion? After Jesus was flogged, they would take Him and they would have a beam and they, maybe you know the story, they would take five to seven inch nails and they would drive them through the nerves in His wrists. And they would stretch Him out as far as they possibly could because a crucifixion wasn't just about death. It was about excruciating death. 
Actually, the term excruciating was a term coined by the Romans. It was a new term that really meant from the cross. It was about the kind of pain that someone was going to experience if they were going to be crucified. And so they would stretch them out as far as they could. Uh, they would put these five to seven inch nails through the wrists and again through your ankles. And if you can imagine, you've all hit your funny bone and it's not so funny. Take that nerve. Take that nerve and have someone come up and take a pair of pliers or a pair of vice grips. Grab on to that nerve. And then begin to pull and squeeze and twist as hard as they possibly can. And perhaps you get an idea of the sort of pain that the Romans would inflict on those who would come to be crucified. And this is where Jesus is. You see, you didn't die on the cross because of your wounds. You died from asphyxiation. They would put you taut so that you could hardly breathe. You would have to push up on the nails between your ankles in order to catch a breath, only to be let down again. Eventually, you'd become so weak that you could no longer breathe. And sometimes, sometimes, in order to speed the process, the Romans would come along mercifully and break the legs of those who were on the cross. But Jesus was already dead. Paul tells us that one of the bedrocks to our faith is that Jesus died. The Romans were master executioners, and I can assure you that Jesus, when He went to the cross, died. Uh, Paul adds to this idea that Jesus actually died in verse 4 when he says, when he says of Jesus that He was buried. You see, you don't bury live people. Uh, he was buried in an empty tomb. Jesus died, and He was buried. Uh, but Paul doesn't just tell us that, that Jesus died. It says why He died. He, Paul says uh, in, in verse 3, he said that Christ died for our sins. He would endure this excruciating death. Why? For our sin. You know that time that you lied to your parents about the movie that you were going to go see with your friends? You know that time that, 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 that perhaps you told your bride you were just staying up late to watch a movie, but you were lured by online porn? You know that, that time that you were driving in traffic and... And you were by yourself, so you didn't think it mattered. And, and that person that cut you off in traffic, and you got so angry. 
that you began to like light up that driver with your mouth? Uh, you remember that time that, that you were with that group of ladies and, and you saw that woman across the way and you made sure that everyone at your table was making fun of that person with you because of how she looked? Uh, how, about the time, how about the time that you went to the buffet and, and, and you ate and you gorged yourself not because you needed more food but because you wanted to see how much food you could put down? Uh, was there a time that you cheated on your science test? Uh, was, there, was there a time... Was there a time that, that, that perhaps you allowed your pride to get in the way? That you knew there was a product that you couldn't deliver and yet you said you could anyway? Uh, Paul says that, that Christ died for all of it. For all of our sin, Christ died. From A to Z, uh, Jesus died to set you free. And some of the apostles, some of the disciples that were with Jesus, some were, some were shocked that Jesus died. I mean, he kept trying to tell them, uh, but they were surprised. Uh, but Paul tells us that this was no surprise to God. Uh, did you catch what he said there at the very end of verse 3? He said, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You see, what was a surprise to the disciples was not a surprise to God. Uh, for centuries past, uh, God had been looking toward this moment when His Son would come to die for the sins of humanity. Uh, one of the bedrocks to our faith, the thing that we can have confidence in our faith uh, because of. The reason that we can have confidence in our faith is that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You want confidence in your faith? Know that Jesus died for your sins. But it's not just that Jesus died. It's not just that Jesus died. Uh, the second element uh, that, that forms the bedrock to our faith that gives us confidence is that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Uh, you see, while some would say that Jesus never resurrected, Paul's going to say with, with tremendous clarity uh, that it is, it is with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead uh, that we are able to find reversal in life. Uh, notice what he says. Look at verse 4 in chapter 15. Notice verse 4. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that He was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, now, some of you would love for me to be able to prove the resurrection. All right, right. Give me the CSI report, right? That, that gives me the rundown of the DNA uh, that is Jesus's so that I can come and believe. Uh, give me a forensic report, preacher, that, that, that tells me you can prove the resurrection. I can't give you that. But what I can give you, what I can give you is that there are, were those uh, against extraordinary odds uh, that came to believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. 
Uh, Look with me at at verse 5 and notice what Paul says about the resurrection. That he appeared, it says that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Let me tell you something about the disciples. When Jesus dies, they're afraid. They go running away. They do exactly what what people would do in that time when the one that they're following comes to be crucified. You see, there is this thing uh, called guilt by association. If you were with him, maybe you need to be killed too. Uh, historians tell us that the first century was filled with people who would be would-be messiahs. Uh, the first century uh, is filled with, with folks who would gather up a following of people, call themselves the Messiah in order to gain power and prestige, that they would call themselves prophets, take up people who would follow them and be their army, and yet eventually they're killed. And when they are killed, what happens to their followers is either they are killed or they go away. And the disciples do exactly the same thing. What do they do? They, they tuck tail and run. I mean, we, we find them throughout the Gospels. They're in all sorts of different places. Uh, some of them are going back to the family fishing business, aren't they? Uh, Some decide uh, that they're going to just go to the next town south. A couple find themselves going to Emmaus. Uh, Thomas, uh, the disciple, is going to say, I am not going to believe it until I see it. And Paul? Uh, Paul is one who is, is already at this point celebrating the crucifixion of Jesus. These are not guys that are ready to lead a revolution. These are not guys who are going to say of themselves, I am willing, ready, and able to fight for Jesus. They are scattered. They're afraid. They're unorganized. They're hid away in rooms. They're going away. And they're absolutely afraid. And yet the story of Scripture, the story of Scripture makes evident that there was a remarkable reversal. Uh, You might say that there was a supernatural reversal that took place. These disciples, uh, these ones who were scattered and afraid, uh, those who were hiding away because they were afraid that they were going to get killed themselves, Those who had gone back to the family business, suddenly uh, they began preaching in the town where Jesus had been crucified. Uh, Suddenly, uh, they begin to make the cornerstone of their message a resurrection of this one who was crucified. Uh, They begin to make Uh, the cornerstone of their lives, a worship and a praise to the One who had been crucified. And they do it all. Why? Well, I think the only explanation is the one that Paul gives us that becomes the bedrock to our faith. 
that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture, and He resurrected on the third day. That Jesus is actually alive. That the disciples saw Jesus. That they touched Jesus. That they heard Jesus. And it's as if Paul, uh, trying to, to, to gather up confidence for those who may question the resurrection, he's going, uh, and there was 500 others. If you don't believe me, ask one of them. But there's this tremendous belief that Jesus had raised from the dead. You see, the resurrection brings reversal. And perhaps some of you, some of you who walked in this morning, you need desperately some sort of reversal. Maybe you walked in this morning and your life is just in shambles. Maybe you walked in internally and you, and you began saying, what is left of my life? It's not what I expected it to be. And, and you need something to happen in your life. You need some sort of reversal. And I just want to begin to invite you uh, to join with Jesus in the resurrection. Maybe you walked in this morning and, and your marriage is hanging by a shoestring. Maybe it's broken. Maybe it's hurting. And you look at the relationship and, and husbands, maybe you would say of your wife, she's cold. And husbands, perhaps you would say of your wives, or uh, wives, perhaps you would say of your husbands, he's distant. And if you walked in like that, and you need something supernatural, then perhaps you would allow the resurrection to bring reversal. Perhaps you just walked in broken. Not even sure. Perhaps you were drugged here by someone in your family who loves you. And you're not sure what you were going to encounter, but you know that your life isn't perfect and you want something supernatural to happen. And I'm inviting you to join in the resurrection. That there might be reversal. Now, I can't promise that life is going to be roses but the resurrection always brings reversal. It's death to life. And so I'm going to ask of you today that you would believe in these two elements. That your faith would have confidence that you would be standing on the bedrock of faith for those who believe in God's good news. That Jesus actually died for your sins and mine. And that He resurrected on the third day. I'm going to ask that you would respond. Respond perhaps in a way that you have never responded before. That you believe that Jesus died and that He resurrected again on the third day. Here's the thing about belief. The thing about belief is this. It doesn't stay up here. 
It's not just about knowledge. It's not just about knowing something else. Belief calls for response. You know when a child loses a toy, but they believe that God can do something about it? You know what they do? They pray. Why do they pray? Why do they respond? Uh, because they believe that God can do something about it. You know, in, in the 21st century, there are all sorts of relationships that begin online. Are you aware of this? Uh, do you know that uh, it, if she or he feels like they're the one, if they believe like this is the one I want to spend the rest of my life with, uh, do, you, do you know that, that almost never, not any time that I'm aware of, do they just decide to get married in a cyber relationship? That they choose a real relationship over a cyber one? Are you aware of that? Uh, their belief drives them to respond. If an investor... If an investor has a stock that they believe in, that this stock is going to go up, they have to respond by saying, I'm going to put my money down on this one. This one's going to go. When someone believes in the bedrocks of the Christian faith that Jesus died for their sins, and that he resurrected on the third day to bring reversal to all things. They respond. Now maybe you walked in this morning and you're not sure about this, but you sense inside of you already that God is asking you to respond. And I want to encourage you to do that. You can come to the front. You can wait for us after the service. You can talk with us. The baptistry is ready. Uh, maybe you're ready right now and you're saying, there is no reason for me uh, not to take the first steps and join uh, uh, meeting God in the resurrection in the baptistry. And so if that's you, I, I want to encourage you that you would not allow these two elements to go idle but that you would respond to God. Respond that He died for your sins. Respond that He resurrected on the third day. And see if your life will not be met with tremendous reversal. Pray with me. You can stand. If you want, you can come forward. You can wait for us after service. We want to hear you and we want to see you respond today. Stand with me. I'm going to pray and then the band is going to sing. Lord, we love you. I thank you for your goodness to us. and Lord, may you enrich our faith. May we stand firmly on these two things, that you died for us, that you resurrected, that this was all according to a, a, a magnificent plan that you had. And that you had us in mind when you sent your son to die on the cross. Lord, I pray we would respond. We pray it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.